Welcome to the Athens Collective. Welcome back to the Athens Collective. This week, we're going to continue to read one of my all-time favorites, The Little Prince. If you haven't listened to the first episode of this mini-series, I highly recommend you do. A little reminder, this story is best when read alongside its illustrations, so I also recommend you get a physical copy of your own if you can. Um... Yeah, so go ahead, grab yourself some cocoa, some tea, or coffee, and let's continue on with The Little Prince. himself in the neighborhood of the asteroids 325, 326, 327, 328, 329, and 330. He began, therefore, by visiting them in order to add to his knowledge. The first of them was inhabited by a king, clad in royal purple and ermine. He was seated upon a throne which was at the same time both simple and majestic. Ah, here is a subject, exclaimed the king when he saw the little prince coming. And the little prince asked himself, how could he recognize me when he had never seen me before? He did not know how the world is simplified for kings. To them, all men are subjects. Approach so I may see you better said the king, who felt consumingly proud of being, at last, a king over somebody. The little prince looked everywhere to find a place to sit down, but the entire planet was crammed and obstructed by the king's magnificent ermine robe. So he remained standing upright, and since he was tired, he yawned. It is contrary to etiquette to yawn in the presence of a king, the monarch said to him. I forbid you to do so. I can't help it. I can't stop myself, replied the little prince, thoroughly embarrassed. I've come on a long journey and have had no sleep. Ah, then, said the king. I order you to yawn. It is years since I have seen anyone yawning. Yawns, to me, are objects of curiosity. Come now, yawn again. It is an order. That frightens me. I cannot any more murmured the little prince, now completely abashed. Hum, hum, replied the king. Then I, I order you sometimes to yawn and sometimes to... He sputtered a little and seemed vexed. For what the king fundamentally insisted upon was that his authority should be respected. He tolerated no disobedience. He was an absolute monarch. But 
Because he was a very good man, he made his orders reasonable. If I ordered a general, he would say, by way of example, if I ordered a general to change himself into a seabird, and if the general did not obey me, that would not be the fault of the general. It would be my, my fault. May I sit down? came now a timid inquiry from the little prince. I order you to do so, the king answered him, and majestically gathered in a fold of his ermine mantle. But the prince was wondering. The planet was tiny. Over what could this king really rule? Sire, he said to him, I beg that you will excuse my asking you a question. I order you to ask me a question, the king hastened to assure him. Sire, for what do you rule? Well, over everything, said the king, with magnificent simplicity. Over everything? The king made a gesture which took in his planet, the other planets, and all the stars. Over all that? asked the little prince. Over all that, the king answered, for his role was not only absolute, it was also universal. And the stars obey you? Certainly they do, the king said. They obey instantly. I do not permit insubordination. Such power was a thing for the little prince to marvel at. If he had been a master of such complete authority, he would have been able to watch the sunset not forty four times in one day, but seventy-two, or even a hundred, or even two hundred times, without ever having to move his chair, and because he felt a bit sad as he remembered his little planet, which he had forsaken, he plucked up his courage to ask the king a favor. I should like to see a sunset. Do me that kindness. Order the sun to set. If I ordered a general to fly from one flower to another like a butterfly, or to write a tragic drama, or to change himself into a seabird, and if the general did not carry out that order he had received, which one of us would be in the wrong? the king demanded. The general or myself? You, said the prince firmly. Exactly. One must require from each one the duty which each can perform the king went on. Accepted authority rests, first of all, on reason. If you ordered your people to go and throw themselves into the sea, they would rise up in revolution. I have the right to require obedience because my orders are reasonable. Then, my sunset, the little prince reminded him, for he never forgot a question once he had asked it. You shall have your sunset. I shall command it. But according to my science of government, I shall wait until conditions are favorable. When will that be? inquired the little prince. Hum, hum, replied the king, and before saying anything else he consulted a bulky almanac. Hum, hum, that will be about... That will be this evening about twenty minutes to eight, and you will see how well I am ob obeyed. The little prince yawned. He was regretting his lost sunset, and then, too, he was already beginning to be a little bored. I have nothing to do here, he said to the king, so I shall set on out on my way again. Do not go, said the king, who was very proud of having a subject. Do not go. I will make you a minister. Minister of what? A minister of justice. But there's nobody here to judge. 
We do not know that, the king said to him. I have not yet made a complete tour of my kingdom. I am very old. There is no room here for a carriage, and it tires me to walk. Oh, but I have looked already, said the prince, turning around to give one more glance to the other side of the planet. On that side, as on this, there was nobody at all. Then you shall judge yourself, the king answered. That is the most difficult thing of all. It is much more difficult to judge oneself than to judge others. If you succeed in judging yourself rightly, then you are indeed a man of true wisdom. Yes, said the little prince, but I can judge myself anywhere. I do not need to live on this planet. Hum hum, said the king. I have good reason to believe that somewhere on my planet there is an old rat. I hear him at night. You can judge this old rat from time to time. You will condemn him to death. Thus his life will depend on your justice. But you will pardon him on each occasion, for he must be treated thriftily. He is the only one we have. I, replied the little prince, I do not like to condemn anyone to death. And now I think I will go on my way. No, said the king. But the little prince, having now completed his preparations for departure, had no wish to grieve the old monarch. If your majesty wishes to be promptly obeyed, he said, he should be able to give me a reasonable order. He should be able, for example, to order me to be gone by the end of one minute. It seems to me that conditions are favorable. As the king made no answer, the little prince hesitated a moment. Then, with a sigh, he took his leave. I make you my ambassador, the king called out hastily. He had a magnificent air of authority. The grown-ups are very strange, the little prince said to himself as he continued on his journey. The second planet was inhabited by a conceited man. Ah, ah, I am about to receive a visit from an admirer, he exclaimed from afar when he first saw the little prince coming. For two conceited men... All other men are admirers. Good morning, said the little prince. That is a queer hat you are wearing. It is a hat for salutes, the conceited man replied. It is to raise in a salute when people acclaim me. Unfortunately, nobody has ever passed this way. Yes, the little prince, who did not understand what the conceited man was talking about. Clap your hands, one against the other, the conceited man now directed him. The little prince clapped his hands. The conceited man raised his hat in a modest salute. This is more entertaining than the visit to the king, the little prince said to himself, and he began again to clap his hands, one against the other. The conceited man again raised his hat in salute. After five minutes of this exercise, the prince grew tired of the game's monotony. And what should I do to make the hat come down, he asked. But the conceited man did not hear him. Conceited people never hear anything but praise. Do you really admire me very much? He demanded of the prince. What does that mean, admire? To admire means that you regard me as the handsomest, best dressed, the richest, and the most intelligent man on this planet. But you are the only man on your planet. Well, do me this kindness. Admire me just the same. 
I admire you, said the little prince, shrugging his shoulders slightly. But what is there in that to interest you so much? And the little prince went away. The grown-ups were certainly very odd, he said to himself as he continued on his journey. The next planet was inhabited by a tippler. This was a very short visit, but it plunged the little prince into deep dejection. What are you doing there? he said to the tippler, who he found settled in silence before a collection of empty bottles, and also a collection of full bottles. I am drinking, replied the tippler, with a laborious air. Why are you drinking? demanded the little, the little prince. So that I may forget, replied the tippler. Forget what? inquired the, the little prince, who already was sorry for him. Forget that I am ashamed, the tippler confessed, hanging his head. Ashamed of what? insisted the little prince, who wanted to help him. Ashamed of drinking, the tippler brought his speech to an end and shut himself in an impregnable silence, and the little prince went away puzzled. The grown-ups are certainly very, very odd, he said to himself as he continued on his journey. The fourth planet belonged to a businessman. This man was so much occupied that he did not even raise his hand to, at the little prince's arrival. Good morning, the little prince said to him. Your cigarette has gone out. Three and two make five. Five and seven make twelve. Twelve and three make fifteen. Good morning. Fifteen and seven make twenty-two. Twenty-two and six make twenty-eight. I haven't time to light it again. Twenty-six and five make thirty-one. Phew. Then that makes five hundred and one million six hundred twenty-three thousand seven hundred and thirty-one. Five hundred million what? asked the little prince. Eh? Are you still there? Five hundred and one million... I can't stop. I have so much to do. I am concerned with matters of consequence. I do not amuse myself with balderdash. Two and five make seven. Five hundred and one million what? repeated the little prince, who never in his life had let go of a question he once he asked it. The businessman raised his head. During the fifty-four years that I have inhabited this planet, I have been disturbed only three times. The first time was twenty-two years ago when some giddy goose fell from goodness knows where. He made the most frightful noise that resounded all over the place, and I made four mistakes in my addition. The second time, eleven years ago, I was disturbed by an attack of rheumatism. I don't get enough exercise. I have no time for loafing. The third time, well, th this is it. I was saying then, five hundred and one millions, millions of what? The businessman suddenly realized that there was no hope of being left in peace until he answered this question. Millions of those little objects, he said, which one sometimes sees in the sky. Flies? Oh, no, little glittering objects. Bees? Oh no, little golden objects that set lazy men to idle dreaming. As for me, I am concerned with matters of consequence. There is no time for idle dreaming in my life. Ah, you mean the stars? Yes, that's it, the stars. And what do you do with 500 million of stars? 
501,622,731. I am concerned with matters of consequence. I am accurate. And what do you do with these stars? What do I do with them? Yes. Well, nothing. I own them. You own the stars? Yes. But I've already seen a king who- Kings do not own, they reign over. It is a very different matter. And what good does it do to you to own the stars? It does me the good of making me rich. And what good does it do to you- you to be rich? It makes it more possible for me to buy more stars, if any are discovered. This man, the little prince said to himself, reasons a little like my poor Tipler. Nevertheless, he still had some more questions. How is it possible for one to own the stars? To whom do they belong, the businessman reported peevishly. I don't know. To nobody. Then they belong to me, because I was the first person to think of it. Is all that necessary? Certainly. When you find a diamond that belongs to nobody, it is yours. When you discover an island that belongs to nobody, it is yours. When you get an idea before anyone else, you take out a patent on it, it is yours. So with me, I own the stars, because nobody else before me ever thought of owning them. Yes, that is true, said the little prince. And what do you do with them? I administer them, replied the businessman. I count them and recount them. It is difficult, but I am a man who is naturally interested in matters of consequence. The prince was not satisfied. If I owned a silk scarf, he asked, I could put it around my neck and take it away with me. If I owned a flower, I could pluck that flower and take it away with me. But you cannot pluck the stars from heaven. No, but I can put them in the bank. Whatever does that mean? That means that I write the number of my stars on a little paper. Then I put this paper in a drawer and lock it with the key. And is that all? That is enough, said the businessman. It is entertaining, thought the little prince. It is rather poetic, but it is of no great consequence. On matters of consequence, the little prince had ideas which were very different from those of the grown-ups. I myself own a flower, he continued his conversation with the businessman, which I water every day. I own three volcanoes, which I clean out every week, for I also clean out the one that is extinct. One never knows. It is some use to my volcanoes, and it is of some use to my flower, that I own them. But you are of no use to the stars. The businessman opened his mouth, but he found nothing to say in answer and the little prince went away. The grown-ups are certainly altogether extraordinary, he said simply, talking to himself as he continued on his journey. The fifth planet was very strange. It was the smallest of all. There was just enough room on it for a street lamp and a lamplighter. The little prince was not able to reach any explanation for the use of the lamp and a lamplighter, somewhere in the heavens, on a planet which had no people and not one house. But he said to himself, nevertheless, it may well be that this man is absurd, but he is not so absurd as the king, 
the conceited man, the businessman, and the tippler, for at least his work has some meaning. When he lights his street lamp, it is as if he brought one more star to life, or one flower. When he puts out his lamp, he sends the flower, or the star, to sleep. That is a beautiful occupation, and since it is beautiful, it is truly useful. When he arrived on the planet, he respectfully saluted, saluted the lamplighter. Good morning. Why have you just put out your lamp? Those are the orders, replied the lamplighter. Good morning. And what are the orders? The orders are that I put out my lamp. Good evening. And he lighted his lamp again. But why have you just lighted it again? Those are the orders, replied the lamplighter. I do not understand, replied the, the prince. There is nothing to understand, said the lamplighter. Orders are orders. Good morning. And he put out his lamp. Then he mopped his forehead with a handkerchief, decorated with red squares. I follow a terrible profession. In the old days, it was reasonable. I put the lamp out in the morning, and in the evening I lighted it again. I had the rest of the day for relaxation and the rest of the night for sleep. And the orders have been changed since that time? The orders have not been changed, said the lamplighter. That is the tragedy. From year to year, the planet has turned more rapidly, and the orders have not been changed. Then what? asked the little prince. Then the planet now makes a complete turn every minute, and I no longer have a single second for repose. Once every minute, I have to light my lamp and put it out. That is very funny. A day lasts one minute here where you live. It is not funny at all, said the lamplighter. While we have been talking together, a month has gone by. A month? Yes, a month. Thirty minutes, thirty days. Good evening. And he lighted his lamp again. As the little prince watched him, he felt that he loved this lamplighter, who was so faithful to his orders. He remembered the sunset which he himself had gone to seek in the other days, merely by pulling up his chair. And he wanted to help his friend. You know, he said, I can tell you a way you can rest whenever you want to. I always want to rest, said the lamplighter, for it is possible for a man to be faithful and lazy at the same time. The little prince went on with his explanation. Your planet, it is so small that three sides will take you all the way around it. To always be in the sunshine, you only need to walk rather slowly. When you want to rest, you will walk and the day will last as long as you like. That doesn't do me much good. The one thing I love in my life is to sleep. Then you're unlucky, said the little prince. I am unlucky, said the lamplighter. Good morning. And he put out his lamp. That man, said the little prince to himself as he continued farther on his journey, that man would be scorned by all the others, by the king, by the conceited man, by the tippler, by the businessman. Nevertheless, he is the only one of them all who does not seem to be to me ridiculous. Perhaps that is because he is thinking of something else besides himself. He breathed a sigh of regret and said to himself again, That man is the only one of them all whom I could have made my friend, but his planet is indeed too small. There is no room on it for two people. What the little prince did not dare confess was that he was sorry most of all to leave this planet because it was blessed every day with 1,440 sunsets.
The sixth planet was ten times larger than the last one. It was inhabited by an old gentleman who wrote voluminous books. Oh, look, here is an explorer, he explained, exclaimed to himself, when he saw the little prince coming. The little prince sat down on the table and panted a little. He had already traveled so much and so far. Where do you come from, the old gentleman said to him. What is that big book, said the little prince. What are you doing? I am a geographer, said the old gentleman. What is a geographer, asked the little prince. A geographer is a scholar who knows the loco location of all the stars, seas, rivers, towns, mountains, and deserts. That is very interesting, said the little prince. Here at last is a man who has a real profession. And he cast a look around the planet of a, the geographer. It was the most magnificent and stately planet that he had ever seen. Your planet is very beautiful, he said. Has it any oceans? I couldn't tell you, said the geographer. Ah, the little prince was disappointed. Has it any mountains? I couldn't tell you, said the geographer. And towns and rivers and deserts? I couldn't tell you that either. But you are a ge geographer. Exactly, the geographer said. But I am not an explorer. I haven't a single explorer on my planet. It is not the geographer who goes out to count the towns, the rivers, the mountains, the seas, the oceans, and the deserts. The geographer is much too important to go loafing about. He does not leave his desks, but he receives the explorers in his study. He asks them questions, and he notes down what they recall of their travels, and if the recollections of any one of them seem interesting to him, the geographer orders an inquiry to that explorer's moral character. Why is that? Because an explorer who told lies would bring disaster on the books of the geographer, so would an explorer who drank too much. Why is that? asked the little prince. Because intoxicated men see double. The, the geographer would note down two mountains in a place where there was only one. I know someone, said the little prince, who would make a bad explorer. That is possible. Then... When the moral character of the explorer is shown to be good, an inquiry is ordered to, into his discovery. One goes to see it? No, that would be too complicated. But one requires the explorer to furnish proofs. For example, if the discovery in question is that large of a mountain, one requires that large stones be brought back from it. The geographer was suddenly stirred to excitement. But you, you come from far away. You are an explorer. You shall describe your planet to me. And having opened his big register, the geographer sharpened his pencil. The recitals of explorers are put down first in pencil. One waits until the explorer has finished furnished proofs before putting them all down in ink. Well, the geographer said expectantly. Oh, where I live, said the little prince. It's not very interesting. It's also so small. I have three volcanoes. Two volcanoes are active and the other is extinct. But one never knows. One never knows, said the geographer. I also have a flower. We do not record flowers, said the geographer. Why is that? The flower is the most beautiful thing on my planet. We do not record them, the, the geographer said, because they are ephemeral. What does that mean, ephemeral? Geographies, the ge said the geographer. 
are the books which, of all books, are most concerned with matters of consequence. They never become old-fashioned. It is very rarely that a mountain changes its position. It is very rarely that an ocean empties itself of its waters. We write of eternal things, but extinct volcanoes may come to life again, the little prince interrupted. What does that mean, ephemeral? Whether volcanoes are extinct or alive, it comes to the same thing for us, said the geographer. The thing that matters to us is the mountain. It does not change. But what does that mean, ephemeral, repeated the little prince, who never in his life had let go of a question once he had asked it. It means which is in danger of speedy disappearance. Is my flower in danger of speedy disappearance? Certainly, it is. My flower is ephemeral, the little prince said to himself, and she has only four thorns to defend herself against the world, and I have left her on my planet all alone. This was his first moment of regret, but he took courage once more. What place would you advise me to visit now, he asked. The planet Earth, replied the geographer. It has a good reputation. And the little prince went away, thinking of his flower. So then, the seventh planet was Earth. The Earth is not just an ordinary planet. It contains 111 kings, including, of course, the African kings, 7,000 geographers, 900,000 businessmen, 7.5 million tippers, 311 million vain men, in other words, about 2 billion grown-ups. To give you an idea of the size of the Earth, I will tell you that before the invention of electricity, it was necessary to maintain over the whole of the six continents a vertible army of 462,511 lamplighters for the street lamps. Seen from a slight distance, that would make a splendid spectacle. The movements of this army would be regulated like those of the ballet and the opera. First would come the turn of the lamplighters of New Zealand and Australia. Having set their lamps alight, these would go off to sleep. Next, the lamplighters of China and Siberia would enter for their steps in the dance, and then they too would be waved back into the wings. After that would come the turn of the lamplighters of Russia and the Indies, then those of Africa and Europe, then those of South America, then those of North America, and never would they make a mistake in the order of their entry upon the stage. It would be magnificent. Only the man who was in charge of the single lamp at the North Pole and his colleague who was responsible for the single lamp at the South Pole only these two would live free from toil and care. They would be busy twice a year. When one wishes to play the wit, he sometimes wanders a little far from the truth. I've not been altogether honest in what I have told you about the lamplighters, and I realize that I run the risk of giving a false idea of our planet to those who do not know it. Men occupy a very small place upon the earth. If the two billion inhabitants who people its surface were all to stand upright and somewhat crowded together as they do for some 
big public assembly. They could easily be put onto one public square 20 miles long and 20 miles wide. All humanity could be piled up on a small Pacific islet. The grown-ups, to be sure, will not believe you when you tell them that. They imagine that they fill a great deal of space. They fancy themselves as important as the Boabab's. You should advise them, then, to make their own calculations. They adore figures, and that will please them. But do not waste your time on this extra task. It is unnecessary. You have, I know, confidence in me. When the little prince arrived on Earth, he was very much surprised not to see any people. He was beginning to be afraid he had come to the wrong planet. When a coil of gold, the color of the moonlight, flashed across the sand, "'Good evening,' said the little prince courteously. "'Good evening,' said the snake. "'What planet is this on which I have come down?' asked the little prince. "'This is Earth. This is Africa,' the snake answered. "'Ah, then there are no people on the Earth?' "'This is the desert. There are no people in the desert. "'The Earth is large,' said the snake. "'The little prince sat down on a stone and raised his eyes toward the sky.' I wonder, he said, whether the stars are set alight in heaven so that one day each one of us may find his own again. Look at my planet. It is right there above us, but how far away it is. It is beautiful, the snake said. What has brought you here? I have been having some trouble with the flower, said the little prince. Ah, said the snake. They were both silent. Where are the men? The little prince at last took up the conversation again. It is a little lonely in the desert. It is also lonely among men, said the snake. The prince gazed at him for a long time. You are a funny animal, he said at last. You are no thicker than a finger. But I am more powerful than the finger of a king, said the snake. The little prince smiled. You are not very powerful. You haven't even any feet. You cannot even travel. I can carry you farther away than any ship could take you, said the snake. He twined himself around the little prince's ankle like a golden bracelet. Whomever I touch, I send back to the earth from whence he came, the snake spoke again. But you are innocent and true, and you come from a star. The little prince made no reply. You move me to pity. You are so weak on this earth made of granite, the snake said. I can help you, someday, if you grow too homesick for your own planet. I can. Oh, I understand you very well, said the little prince. But why do you always speak in riddles? I solve them all, said the snake, and they were both silent. The little prince crossed the desert and met with only one flower. It was a flower with three petals. A flower of no account at all. Good morning, said the little prince. Good morning, said the flower. Where are the men? the prince asked, politely. The flower had once seen a caravan passing. Men? she echoed. I think there are six or seven of them in existence. I saw them several years ago. But one never knows where to find them. The wind blows them away. They have no roots and that makes their life very difficult. 
Goodbye, said the little prince. Goodbye, said the flower. After that, the little prince climbed a high mountain. The only mountains he had ever known were the three volcanoes which came up to his knees, and he used the extinct volcano as a footstool. From a mountain as high as this one, he said to himself, I shall be able to see the whole planet at one glance, and all the people. But he saw nothing, save peaks of rock that were sharpened like needles. Good morning, he said courteously. Good morning, good morning, good morning, answered the echo. Who are you? said the little prince. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? answered the echo. Be my friends. I am all alone, he said. I'm all alone, all alone, all alone, answered the echo. What a queer planet, he thought. It is altogether dry, and altogether pointed, and altogether harsh and forbidding, and the people have no imagination. They repeat whatever one says to them. On my planet, I had a flower. She was always the first to speak. joining me for this little bit of The Little Prince. Um, I know these episodes are a bit longer than the ones that I usually make, but I hope you enjoy them regardless. Um, and I hope The Little Prince has caught at least an inch of your heart as you continue to listen to these little bits of his story. Um, there's only one more episode to this mini-series before we have to say goodbye to our little prince, but until then, I bid you adieu, and I will be sending love over air in the meantime. Thank you for listening to the Athens Collective. For more content, you can go to Instagram at the Athens Collective, and you may submit collaboration ideas or your own stories 